Welcome to the Success IQ podcast, the show for entrepreneurs wanting to create and live an exceptional life. I'm your host, Jeff Nicholson. For those of you who are new to the show, welcome. I'm an expert in performance and mindset, supporting business owners to create exceptional results in life and business. And I achieve this through coaching, training, speaking, and my online programs. I started this podcast to discover how other thought and business leaders create and enjoy success, and to identify the common strategies and techniques, as well as the mindset they have adopted to live their version of exceptional. My aim is simple. It's for you to learn and implement the valuable lessons shared in these episodes. You deserve to live and enjoy an exceptional life, but in order to achieve this, you will need to adopt new strategies and ways of thinking to accomplish your goals. Now, don't forget to hit that subscribe button to make sure you don't miss any of these brilliant episodes. Head over to jeffnicholson.co.uk to register for my Kick Mediocrity in the Nuts newsletter, as well as all you need to know on how to connect with me on social media or join the Facebook group. Now, on with the show. This episode is brought to you by SalesFlare, the super easy to use CRM for small businesses selling to B2B. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. I truly hope you are having an amazing week. So our guest today is Marianne Pruitt, the CEO and president of Mosaic Media, a collection of media buying experts and creative strategists who negotiate, purchase, and monitor advertising space and airtime. She's here today to share some marketing wisdom gleaned from her extensive career in media strategy and how it relates to the ever-evolving climate of media. Welcome to the show, Mary. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for having me on. It is absolutely lovely to have you on. And before we dive into the really cool stuff, could you just give us a little bit of a backstory of what's brought you to this point today? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think uh, like most entrepreneurs, I just had that burning desire early on and early in my career. I was fortunate enough to be able to get uh, into marketing very early, actually, um, in graphic design at the early age of 17 and starting and being mentored under some great, great designers. And eventually that actually turned into a career in media and within a few years. And I found my love and passion um, in media. My background in college was marketing and economics together. And media just gave me that love of just enough geeky data uh, to go alongside of the marketing side of it. And that's where I've all these years later and more than 20 years later being here, that's the path that it took me down. So I'm very, I feel very fortunate. I found it early and was able to hang on to it. Fantastic. Fantastic. So I guess I, I think for, there's so many different ways we can take this conversation, but I think the the one that sort of keeps, there's always a topic that keeps coming up like a, like a bad cold and that's COVID. Um, how, how has media changed since COVID has kind of like risen its ugly head? Um, what sort of things have happened? It's very fascinating because media almost overnight changed and it's based on the fact of media consumption habits and consumer habits that took place over media brands and marketers were not ready for that shift yet. They didn't, it was, there's no way to predict it, right? There was no way to predict this was going to happen, but we saw an overnight evolution take place where frankly in older generations, um, this evolution should have taken 10 years, maybe never to happen. 
Um, but we saw a huge shift literally overnight. And what we begin, and frankly, it's broken down by uh, generations. And each generation reacted differently to the pandemic and media consumption than the other. So if you take your traditionalist uh, older generation, the tail end of the baby boomers and early into the traditionalists that are actually still working, they overnight turned to social media, which we've never seen them do before as a news outlet. They wanted, that's where they were going for their new source of news. That was something that was new and intriguing to them. It was an evolution that happened overnight. And we honestly, frankly, would not have seen that, I don't think, without the pandemic. It would have taken 10, 20 years, and some of their lifespans would not have actually outlived that. Um yeah. So in the older generations, that's the shift that we saw in the younger generations. We saw them start to consume traditional platforms as if they were new platforms. Like the local radio station can tell me what my my the counts are in the county that I live in and in the city that I live in. And what are the local mandates and what am I supposed to do? Uh, it's a very interesting shift that we saw um, it younger folks and younger generations actually shift back to traditional platforms to get information. So it's uh, it's interesting because each generation really evolved and changed differently overnight. It's, it's, it's strange, isn't it? Because you, you would think that the way that technology is, they wouldn't need to go to the old form Um you know, I mean, do you when they went when you mean the old form, was that mean that they actually went out and bought, let's say, a newspaper or they still consumed that newspaper online? So that's very that's a very valid point, Jeff, because they actually were taking the local news that they were getting and consuming it digitally or consuming it like radio was one. Uh, the smaller the market, the more of an uptick we saw in local radio. Uh, because of the fact that those were the specific mandates to the area in which you live. And those were the specific things that individuals were trying to stay up on. Um, but you're right, the local newspapers, the local print, that started to begin to identify based on a digital platform. I'm going to go seek out these traditional news formats, uh, local television, local uh, TV and radio and print but I'm going to go consume it digitally. So it's a different way of consuming it. Because um, I suppose is the other thing, you know, not just, I guess, not just with COVID, but also just with the way um, media or, or certainly information is shared. How is, how in, in your view, do, do you look at media or advertising or marketing through traditional radio to sort of the phenomenon that just seems to be gaining more and more momentum, which is podcasting, like what we're doing today. What, what, you know, is, you know, if I was going to be pedantic, do I say radio is dead? Because, you know, one of the benefits of listening to a podcast is, is you can specifically choose the topic rather than, you know, 45 minutes of adverts and maybe 15 minutes of a soundbite. What what sort of what sort of um, view do you have on that? So it's, it's very interesting. The traditional platforms are definitely not dead. If anything, we saw an uptick in them and during COVID. COVID pushed people to that. So the platform, our consumers are still there. It's a matter of how they're consuming it that has changed. So our po podcasts also had a huge increase. That is where all generations have gone. Um, huge increase. Uh, that is something that if you're not looking at 
um, ads on podcasts, you need to be, and you need to be looking and targeting your specific audience within that. But the, that consumption went through the roof, whether it be personal development, whether it be, um, even like true crime, like all these various different things that went through storytelling. It was, we found that there was time to kill and we needed an escape and people went to podcasts. Um, they went to streaming TV and podcasts. Those were the big things that they went to first. Um, but that local traditional platform isn't dead because they're still consuming it. So they want to know that the world that they went to bed to is the world that they're waking up to. And they, it's this hyper local focus that we're seeing in these traditional platforms that people care about. Now it's, it's how they're consuming it. They're consuming it more on a news basis on the traditional side than they are an entertainment basis. Um, so on the podcast side, it's both it's personal development and entertainment. On the digital side, actually, it's an interesting study that uh, I just read that the older generations are consuming uh, digital and social media to gather news and to get their news information. It's specific to news. That is why they are online, where younger generations are on social media to kill time. So it's a different way of consuming the media. But where are those younger generations getting their news, they're actually getting it from local formats that we've never really seen them go to before. Their local news is all of a sudden something that they cared about where we haven't seen that before. So it's an interesting uh, shift in dynamic. So it's not necessarily that the consumption has changed, it's how they're consuming has changed. But do you also think that the reason why they're looking for other online sources is possibly because they're struggling. Like we've certainly seen it during the COVID experience, but it, it almost seems like in, in every certain country in the Western world is that that trust level of actually what the information the news are putting out seems, well, sometimes seems completely farcical and complete BS, but there's those people who are going out. And then we saw the danger of, looking at articles on social media because, you know, some of them were deep fake and, and all of that stuff. Do you think that's why we're sort of trying to get so many bits of different resources to try and get the truth out of it? Well, I think anytime there's a traumatic experience. So one thing that a lot of people don't actually discuss is the psychology of media consumption of a consumer. So when we go back to anything traumatic economically, and this is where my background of economics gets really nerdy. I did my thesis in recessional recoveries. So this is this is where I get really nerdy, but I love it and I dive in. So when we look back at recessional dives or anything traumatic in any type of country history or world history, we see this type of overconsumption want and desire. So it's a, it's a research. Now we have the internet. And even after 9-11, we didn't have that. So in if you look at America after 9-11, you didn't have, um, you didn't have, the Google wasn't what it is now. You didn't have social media platforms of what they are now. You're, you're it's just morning. AOL really, wasn't exactly. it? Exactly. That was it. You had dial up still. These were not things that it was nothing that was overly consumed, right? And you still had libraries that you were going and doing research on history. You were still going and doing things as opposed to real-time research. The other part of COVID that has shifted is anytime there's trauma, trauma, 
or any type of traumatic experience or any type of response that everybody all at once responds to, typically there's some sort of evolution or resolution, right? So typically you go into this resolve of something taking place, something continuing on, your, your lives start to move on. COVID has continued on. COVID hasn't stopped. So what we see is a constant hunger for trying to gather information from consumers. In reality, that has never really happened in our lifetime, where there's this over desire to consume and research. And it's this, it's almost a, you take the dopamine high that individuals and that we've seen that social media causes our brains to go into and that dopamine that your brain goes into and then take the desire of survival and trying to pull that part of it and the economic recovery and personal finances and, you know, all the above, right. And combine that all into one package. And that's where we have the individual brain of consuming media at this all time high level for either one, trying to escape from the reality in which you're in or over research, because there's so much research. I want to get to the bottom of this. I want to know what's going on. I want to know what this means for my family. So, yeah, so it's, it's something we've never seen, frankly. Yeah, no, and 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 it's 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 like everything, isn't it? There's that double-edged sword. You're looking at the research from, you know, almost credible sources. You're looking at some strange. I can't remember some of the great ones that were coming out. Drink. What was it? What was the best one? Drink to drink bleach or something like that. Oh, that was yeah. another one that came out. You know, all yeah. of the ones that came out, and then what you've also got is you've got. The problem with that, all of that data out there and people doing that is then you can become or you have a risk of becoming an armchair expert exactly. and not really getting the data, but kind of like feeding the wrong beast sort of thing. Right. And I guess that's always the challenge. And then Netflix, you watch Netflix so much that actually there's no good films on because you've watched every one <laughs> so about 20 times. That was certainly the biggest dilemma, if anything, on the media. It was that's running so out of Am- Amazon films and Am- Netflix because it was like, Christ, I haven't got anything to watch now. What else can I go back and watch? And there, so, and then and that takes you back down to a path of content where... When COVID first happened, we couldn't record new videos. We couldn't record things. We couldn't do things. Everything shut down um, at the beginning. So everybody's binge watching things that either they haven't watched in years or they've never watched and it's always been on their list or whatever, right? But And they go into, and we know this of consumer behavior. We know that there's a survival mode of I need to escape as well as I need to know how to survive. So this is that combination of consumption. And frankly, what it means for brands and marketers is that our our audiences are primed to be receiving our ads right now. They are primed to get whatever ad you need. If you're in tourism right now, I know that there's a lot of people that, you know, tourism was hit so hard, but now it's making a huge recovery. They may be going in this, path of someplace local or they may be going but if you're in some form of tourism target those areas that's fine um so and online shopping went through the roof so why are we not looking at how we're serving these ads we have more platforms now that we can do there's more tactics that we can use so there's a um we have to look at the overall consumer psychology of how it's changed and there what that has done to then push their consumer and their media habits into where they are now and that's it's very fascinating to see because we've just never seen this before 
no, no. So before we jump over to the the second part, the, the, obviously we want to have a look at, um, you know, if someone is looking, where do people start? Because I think when someone says buying media, it gets the 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 concept or the thought of buy media sounds scary, especially to maybe small to medium businesses. Um, for you, where sort of, you know, let's say three things, what three things could they start doing or good tactics that they could start looking at to start looking at l- purchasing media? So purchasing media can be very overwhelming. There is no question about it. And frankly, it's become very specialized. If you're looking in the programmatic space of targeting behaviors, um, which we all should be as brands and as marketers, uh, that becomes very specialized. And there's there's tons of firms like ours that help you with that. Your first step is to clearly identify who your target audience is. It's really going back to basics in that, but taking it one step deeper, um, gone are the days that we go, you know what, I'm targeting a woman that's 25 to 54 years old because the 54 year old and the 25 year old do not consume media the same way. So we have to look at, okay, who is really truly my ideal customer? Is it that woman who is in the market for a new car that is 37 years old, that has two children that, you know, and really dig into that because into digital, in today's digital platforms, we can target that. So um, step back and look at how, who is that ideal customer and identify that. The second place is how are you currently reaching that customer? What is your current plan? How are you identifying them and how are you reaching them? Is it only word of mouth? Is it Um, social media? What are you doing on that end? And then third, identifying that budget of, okay, if I'm willing to look at this and really outline this and put budget towards my advertising, this is what I feel comfortable with and dipping the toe in. And then if you really truly, and you go down into the path, identifying those platforms and tactics that you think are going to be the best to reach your audience. So that's that next step. What tactics do I need to go to where do I go and how do I do that? And so one of the things though, too, I really, truly, um, I push contact professionals, like people like me, we'll have conversations for free with you of just assessing where you're at and what do you want to do? And if there's something new that you want to try or what are your thoughts or brainstorming that out, that's why firms like ours exist is so that you can help with that. Now, not everybody offers it for free, but those are, I'm always, we're always open for the conversation of what does your media look currently look like and where would you like it to go? Where are you, where are your sales and where would you like those to go? And then how do we identify, how do we then clearly target that audience? Um, there, there are, and Jeff, it's a, such a good question that you asked this because when I started in media, I think it was like, we got hundreds of brand impressions a day. Now imagine what the human mind worldwide gets brand impression wise every day. Like it, it's unbelievable. So we have to be able to strategically and methodically plan that media out. But I, it really, the thing is that I think is the biggest misnomer in our world is that experts like us cost so much more money. Really, in reality, it doesn't cost you any more than what you're spending in your ads. It costs you very little more. And it's worth getting that expertise help. Yeah, you're absolutely right about that brand awareness as well, because I know um you know, at Christmas, all of the games come out. Um, and when you played the, the, like the logo, the logo game, or you play, um, 
you know, when they say like a, the, a logo phrase or whatever, it's amazing how quick people can immediately think of that, even if they haven't seen the logo for years. Exactly. They immediately know what it is or the, 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 um, like all because the lady loves, like that's a generation thing. Cause yeah. my kids would be like, when you saying what, but for <laughs> me is I, I remember the Jay's bond type man coming down the building to, to drop off the chocolates. Exactly. But it's, you know, it's all of those things that you can like watch and you don't, as you say, you don't realize how powerful that is. And I remember, I can't remember what film it was, but I remember the point where a guy walked down in a train and then the article, the advert was actually speaking to him as a person because it picked up on a, uh, what was it? It was probably something like, I don't know, Total Recall or something like that. But, you know, we're probably not that far from that, are we really? No, we really aren't. And that's... That's the thing. And I think what gets so overwhelming for some brands is they're so worried about, okay, my competition, that's so much bigger than me. I need to duplicate exactly what they're doing. You know, it's okay to zig where they're zagging. It really is. And it's okay to identify how you're, how you're getting to that audience. Um, And there's so many different strategies to make your budget go further than you think you don't need a million dollars a year. You don't. And there's, and especially in today's world, there's so many tactics that people like us can help you put together. And like I said, it's not that much more expensive than your ad spend itself. It's worth getting that. And that's probably the biggest misnomer because gone are the Mad Men days where people are, where you're spending so much money on everything, where in reality, your ad spend, it really, it's not that much more to bring on people like us to help you. So if you're small, if you're medium, it doesn't matter if you're large. We, you know, people like us help brands all, all the time. And like you just said, it, it you're not that far away from your band, brand being recognized by your target audience. Cause when you're targeting your audience correctly, they're going to recognize your brand. They are, and you're doing, you're doing something right. As I mentioned, this episode is sponsored by SalesFlare. So do you have more work with your CRM than you can keep up with? While other CRM software expects you to fill it out manually, SalesFlare automates all of the data input for you. All you need to do is just head to salesflare.com and using the code SUCCESSIQ, you can get 20% off for the next three months. Join me and many other users around the world in using this automated and super easy to use CRM for small businesses selling B2B. Now, on with the show. Okay, question number one. On average, how much time do you roughly dedicate to self-development that could be body, mind, and spirit? Typically an hour a day. It's very important to me. I actually calendar it and it's something um, I read every day. I am a book nerd. I love my books. And whether it's, uh, I, I try to also, also multitask it where, you know, when I go, I go for a run, I listen to podcasts and it's always business development. Like I know I have my patterns of how I do it. So typically it's at minimum an hour a day. I think it's so important for all of us as entrepreneurs to be developing ourselves on all levels. So the question is for you, when you're listening to podcasts, do you listen to them at single speed or double speed? It depends. It depends on who the, um, who the, who the host is. Cause sometimes if they're, if they're a fast speaker, then no, I don't. <laughs> and it depends also on how fast I want to run. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, this is true. Yeah. I just, I'm trying to get used to listening to my, to like certain books at double speed. 
And I do do that when, cause I listen to audiobooks a lot. And so, and I, I put audiobooks on, um, when I'm getting stuff done, I actually put audiobooks on in the background. So like, while I'm working on certain things that are, you know, looking at financials or whatever, I put audiobooks on. So it's a, it's a constant, we can always be developing ourselves always. Yeah. And it's, it's, and, 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 you know, it's, I remember doing this course of a guy called Paul Sheely, I think it was. And he was talking about speed reading. And what he did was he recorded it, but missed all of the punctuation and everything out and just injected you with this, this basically this chapter that he had gone through at super speed. And I was amazed at how much I could recall. I mean, my reading is absolutely crap. I'll put my <laughs> hand up for that. But because I'm an audiobook person, but um but actually, to I'm just trying to get used to listening to audiobooks at double speed because my brain kind of like goes, "This is just weird." Our brains, a, our brains though, can comprehend more than we give them to, credit. Yeah, for. absolutely. Because yeah. I do. I, you when you you're right. Because when we stop, it's like, well, I listened to that. Is it Mickey Mouse was on helium? Right. Right. But yeah, exactly I've recalled. Re, you know, I've recalled so much more. I think there's a point of doing. I think you know, if you're doing fiction, that should be normal speed, chill out, do it. But I think if you're doing the self, the sort of the development of oneself or a skill, I think, yeah, I think double speeds are an interesting one to do it. It helps us consume more faster and actually manage our development better. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And do you do the full books or do you do things like Blinkist or Snapshots or... So I usually do the full books. I am a, so I, I am a product of educators. My, my dad is actually still working, um, even though he is 77 years old uh, and just celebrated, I think his 55th year in education. So yeah. And I was always brought up with, and I'm still old fashioned of, I love to have a good book in my hand. So it's uh, yeah. And I was always dinner table wise with him. It was always fun. He'd be like, Oh, I think I have a book with the reference for that. And he'd go to his library and he'd pick out a book. So I, I am still one that is like cover to cover. And cause I never, I don't want to miss anything. I don't. <laughs> Well, I'm, you know, we're from the ages where when you used to have a school project, you used to have to go to the library to look at the encyclopedias. You did. And we used to have to look at the car. You know, we had reference cards and all. The, oh, man. Yes. We had to. We, and and uh, I can't even remember if, you know, sticking it on the photocopier so we could cut it out and put the picture in the book. None of this. None of this. Let's Google image it. We we we. We we were we were the sort of front we end were. of all of we that were, stuff. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Question number two is: What book, and it can be any book, has made the biggest impact to your self development or personal growth, and why? So one of my favorite business books is Never Eat Alone, and it talks about the um, importance of relationships, and really, uh, ta- my one of my. It, makes you think about relationships or relationships are like a muscle. You have to build them. It's not some, it's not like eating a cake where it just goes away. You have to constantly and intentionally build relationships. Um, and you have to build your network before you need your network. You have to know in building these relationships with individuals before you actually need those relationships. And one of my favorite parts of it is it's not how much time you spend with people. It's just as important of how you are spending that time with people and never eat alone is one of my absolute favorite books. And I probably refer that book to people more than anything. 
We'll listen to that one. Um, <laughs> okay, so question number three, what app makes the biggest impact to your business or personal life? So I back to personal development. I absolutely think that we as entrepreneurs need to be constantly doing that, but we need inspiration and guidance and just moments of quotes and things like that. So my actual favorite app is the Franklin Covey living the same, the seven habits app. And it gives you a nice little quote of the day and an inspiration and you go with it. And I, I love that. Okay. So what's the name of the app again? Franklin it's Covey. Franklin Covey. It's Franklin Covey living the seven habits. So uh, Franklin Covey's the seven habits of highly effective. And that is the app is about that. And that's it. Yeah. Yeah. And um, number four is what's your biggest business mistake that turned into a valuable lesson? And then what did it teach you? Biggest mistake is not listening to your gut. It's a very broad um, statement, <laughs> but there are so many times when you start in business that you don't realize either someone is holding you back or somebody is giving you bad information, or you're trusting, you're too trusting of individuals, it's making sure that you're doing your own research on your end, as well as um, making sure that you're listening. If there's, if there's a gut instinct of anything, listen to it. Stop and be honest with yourself. Um, is something holding me back? Am I do, what do I need to do with this? Uh, and I think all business owners have had that. But, you know, digging into knowing everything of your business, but also trusting others. But listen to your gut when you're trusting others. Yeah, it's funny when you when you when I do a presentations and I talk about that, you see the 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 older generation or the older people in the room, you like see the wisdom of shaking their head going, no, it's right. Because they've they've well, they've they've been around the block a few more times. Really, so that it's, but it it is true. There's this, I think there's this innate intelligence in us that knows when there's either something of danger or something of worry to come into something. Yeah, and we have to be honest with ourselves and listen to that, and don't shove it under the carpet. Address it immediately, whatever it is, whether it's an employee that you just don't have a good feel on, or whatever, or whether it's a business partner that you just don't feel like you're trusting right there. Call it out. And that's okay. I think that that's the biggest piece is it's okay to call it out. Um, and it's, I think we have this, we have this human nature to listen to our instinct. And then, and I think with women more than men, we get nervous to call it out because we're not sure, okay, am I overreacting? Am I not, you know, and we get caught into that mode. But I think any entrepreneur that's young really gets caught into that trap. And you know what? It's okay to call it out. It is. And I and I I can admit that certainly in the early days of owning the business, it was like the gut was going no no no, and I I tried to ignore it, and then I got bit in the ass by it. So all of us have, all of us have been there, and you look back and you're like, okay, great, that taught me a huge lesson, but now I'm screwed and having to clean this all up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but but you actually bring in the other good point is it's listen and learn from it. Don't just listen it, beat yourself up. It's because it's there from a point of coming, all right, next time I'm I'm here for you, but next time you've got to listen to it and then learn because that's the bit. What well, exactly? That's exactly right. And if we can just take that extra step of, okay, you know what? I'm not going to beat myself up over this. I made this mistake. I'm moving on. I am now going to learn from every step. And what am I going to learn? I actually have this habit now of reassessing everything and looking at things quarterly and monthly. And if there's things like that, I take note and journal 
of, okay, what did I learn? What did I learn from that? Because it's a journey. Entrepreneurship is a journey and we, there's no way overnight that we all know everything. There's just not. No. Our egos like to tell us that. Yes, it's true. But yeah. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Number five, what are your challenges in harmonizing work and life and how do you manage them? So I think uh, for most uh, female entrepreneurs, and I know for male entrepreneurs, it's too, but it is, it's being mom for me and making sure that I am present with my kids and as well as being able to uh, really be present with our company. Because your company, if you're an entrepreneur, that's also your baby. And so one of the biggest things first is it's back to not beating yourself up. There's no way in the whole work-life balance, it doesn't exist. There's no way that you can just shut off and there's no way that you can just be 50-50 and equal. It's just not possible. So some of the things that it's allowing myself to have the permission to, it's okay. It's okay that some things just bleed into others. There are certain things that I will never miss and that I will work and move heaven and hell to make happen (laughs) with my family. Uh, Birthdays. Birthdays are one of those things that it's like, if I have to leave on your birthday at the, you know, at 6am, but I see you on your birthday, I'm a happy camper and I'm good there. Like I have to make it, but I might be miserable the next day, but I'm going to make it happen. So there's certain things that are just always top priority. The other thing that I've done and I'm intentional about is calendaring my family time of making sure that we have that intentional time with our families. A lot of times we as entrepreneurs will take retreats as executives to go through our planning for the next year, to go through where we need to be next, but we don't stop and do that for our family and actually have family retreats and figure that out too and talk that through. But another thing, and during COVID, when we all went through lockdown and when we went through everything, I really brought my kids into more knowledge about what I do. And I frankly embraced it. I was like, yeah, you can sit in and listen to this meeting. You can't talk. And you know, what's so interesting about it, Jeff, is they rise to the occasion. They actually sit there like, oh, I learned something. Or they sit there and I'm thinking, okay, you're going to talk through this whole thing. They don't talk. They respect things. Like there's certain things that if you trust your kids with stuff, they'll actually participate and learn later on. Now, do they jump into a client meeting? No, but do they see me do a client meeting? Yes. And they learn so much more out of that. The skills that I'm teaching them on that level. Um, Before COVID and now as travel and things start to get a little bit better, when I have client meetings outside, when it doesn't interrupt with school, I take them with me. I take them to a different um, state or wherever, and they come with me and, you know, they have, I'll have somebody with me to help me while I'm in meetings, but they come with me. And that's another thing that's intentional. So that's, that's, those are a few things that I do to make sure that that life balance is there. Yeah. And I think there's, I think there's an, um, I mean, my, my grandfather and my father-in-law have owned their businesses and my grandfather um, used to try and teach me the ethics of, of working, but I was a bit too young and stubborn probably to do it but I you know I used to go and I used to help out and everything um I know my my youngest son my my eldest son he's he's always got I want to join the military and that's that's what he wants to do but my youngest son he's interested in business and he always used to come in and now he's at university I've so missed the little chat he would come in and you know, try and give me some, ask me questions about, well, why don't you do it like this? Or you should call it this or whatever. And it, it's it's lovely when they get involved because I think quite often, depending on the age of your, your children, is sometimes they don't see the struggle. 
If you're fortunate to have a really successful business when you've had kids, when you've got kids, they don't see the up all night sweating buckets of, you know, trying to get stuff. They see the benefit and they see the nice holidays and the lovely cars and don't worry about university because we've got you covered sort of thing. But what they don't see is the utter blood, sweat and tears grafting that goes in to trying to get the business not only just off the ground at the beginning, but then all of a sudden some sod throws in a pandemic type thing or a recession type thing. And they have to understand or they get to see, which I think is also the importance of learning to be resilient and learning to talk through your problems to a certain point with your family. You know, I I personally don't like getting them worried, Um, but they need to see the reality of it rather than just seeing the, you know, the, the, the bling that possibly could come from it after it's worked. And I think it's so important for us to be honest with our kids about their things. And like you said, because they see the reaping of the benefits, they don't see all of the hard sweat and tears that go into it before then. And it's, um, they see the outcome, right. And there's, there's a journey and there's a struggle that gets you to an outcome, no matter what, it never lands in somebody's lap. And that's the, that's the key that I think is so important is showing them that and having those conversations. And frankly, what another thing I've done with the kids is okay. Getting to know what are their interests and then what does that mean to what I do so that you can learn so that you can develop it. Cause look at it. We, I mean, we have these, they're kind of young interns, right. But they're ones that personally can learn from us that we personally care about of whatever journey they choose. That doesn't mean they have to go into what we do. It just means that we're, we want to achieve and help them become um, better people in society. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I used to sit that like, um, I used to sit and say, um, you know, if they wanted to, a video game or something and they're, you know, 50, 60 pounds, I would say, well, you know, how many hours do you think that someone has to work to get that? Because you just kind of like go, I would like a video game and, and that's going to pull out this amazing little plastic friend that has an unlimited thing (laughs) and it's going to work. But actually what you're not paying attention to, depending on what job you have, somebody may have to work over five hours to earn that. And it got them to think about, not always successfully, you know, but it, at least I hope that it will get them to think about, oh, right, okay, it's not just a matter of bang, and there, and there you go. Um, because I think that, that, you know, we all try, we all want to pro- provide and give our family the best of what we can. But I think there has to be that understanding of, you know, because, you know, and, and it was probably even harder for the generation before us. And I think our generation wants our kids to understand that. Um, And I think for us, we were, at least for me, I was very much in what you were just talking about with your family of instilled this work ethic like that. It was that hard work ethic. And for them also, I want my kids to have that. And I want them to have an extra level of understanding of you have it good. This has come from hard work. This has come from certain things. It doesn't land in someone's lap and taking the shortcuts doesn't work. You work hard. You work to get to these points. Um, and yeah, and you're spot on with what is the value of what you are purchasing right now? How many hours of work that took someone to make? I, I started point system with our kids because it was like, 
you got to start earning stuff. It wasn't just a, here's an allowance or here's that. No, it's points. You earn your points and whatever that, that works out in how we do it. I mean, everything from, you know, actually personal development time, you earn points for that and very various things. Right. So, and then they, they, so they can see, okay, this is what I need to do. And now as they head into their teenage years, I'm starting to see it really develop in them a little bit more. Yeah. 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 But um, the other thing is, is if you think about it, it's like if, if my generation had gone through what people are going through now with the pandemic, I would have been bored out of my mind because I was like sitting there going when I was when I was, you know, 10, 10 years old, we only had three to four TV yes. channels. That's it. That's all the UK yeah. had. We didn't have, you know, vi- you know, we didn't have videos going all over. We had, you know, we didn't have it wasn't streaming. the there resources. Wasn't, yeah. No, we didn't. No. Have, no, I mean, computer games was a line going up and down with a, <laughs> exactly. a thing, a square that bounced from and side to side. I loved that game. I loved it. <laughs> yeah, I know. But it's like you sit there and go, kids, honestly, people, you just don't know how lucky you are that you've actually, I mean, the mental health issue would be 10 times worse if it had been back then, because there wouldn't have been some form of distraction. Plus, businesses wouldn't have been able to do what we've been able to do during the lockdown. And shifting to a digital, you know, digital platform. Absolutely bonkers. Yeah. No, you're yeah. spot on. You're absolutely. Spot on. You know, it would have just been telephone numbers and yeah. writing pads. Exactly. <laughs> that just brings the creeps out. <laughs> okay, next question. What advice would you give an entrepreneur that you wish you had known starting out? So really, truly, the biggest thing is it's okay to say no. So it's back to that. What what is the biggest mistake that I've made and learned from? And it's that gut check and listening to that gut. It's okay to say no to a piece of business. And I think you know when you're first starting off, you'll take whatever contracts you can get. You'll take whatever work you can get. You'll you know you're just fine with whatever. And then you go back and you're like, why did I do that? It's such a nightmare and all this. Hit. And then you realize that. There's certain clients that if I would have just said no at the beginning, it actually wouldn't, I would have grown faster. Our company would have grown faster. There's certain things along those lines. So it's okay to say no. Um, set those benchmarks too. Another thing, I think the biggest thing for young entrepreneurs and or old entrepreneurs, doesn't matter. When you're first starting into business, the financial side of it, get as much research, get that under your belt quick, know what your expenses are going to be. Know, know what that means by project, know what each client is costing you, know what each client is making you um, look at benchmarks, set financial benchmarks and really look at those. Yeah. Because I think that's the, that's the, the big one is, is they see the money coming in and it's amazing how many people I've, I've spoken to on the show and others and they've gone, I didn't realize I was hemorrhaging that much money because everything seemed to be good. And it's like, I mean, you know, even, even stopping for a second and assessing what you're spending on a regular basis, it might not be that you need to necessarily because your business is doing well, but it's a great practice to kind of like look and go, oh, what's that? Because your subscriptions will crank up very, very quickly without you even thinking about it. A $10 here and a $3 there and a $5, all of a sudden, before you know it, you could be spending $250 on subscriptions and it might not be something you need. Right, and or something you're using. And those are the things that you as entrepreneurs dive into your numbers, get into the, find out what these benchmarks are, you know, your overhead and what it, what is your adjusted gross income? 
what are you looking at? What is your overhead costs? Okay, how much is going towards employees? How much is going towards your overhead expenses? And then how much is your profit? Break it down that simply. It's not it's not rocket science, but know your numbers, know what they are. And you know, get if here's the other piece too. You don't have to do all your accounting. And at the beginning, I know all of us get caught into that of the invoicing and the the day you start outsourcing that is a day you breathe and you get to know and dive into your numbers more because you're not doing the day-to-day bookkeeping. So knowing your accounting side is so crucial. So crucial. Fantastic. Question number seven, what is your personal definition of success? Setting and reaching goals. And I think what I was talking earlier of what I try to do, I assess monthly and then quarterly I do. um, I literally write out every quarter at the beginning of the quarter, the goals that I have going into that quarter. Um, What is monthly revenue that I want to hit? What are personal achievements that I want to hit? How do I, how do I assess that? What does, what does success look like for that benchmark? What will I, at the end of the quarter say, okay, that was success. That was great. Cause I think success is different for everybody. Right. So we but if you're setting benchmarks and you're setting goals for yourself, you can look at it and you're reevaluating them every quarter. So don't just do annual goals. Don't just do, you know, five-year, 10-year goals. I do those too, you know, you, but once a month assess where my quarterly goals are, but once a quarter set those goals and then once a year set annual and five, check in on your five-year, check in your, on your 10-year. And you just go through that and identify, okay, these are the three things that look like success to me that come out of this and know that. Yeah, no, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. Okay. And the final question is, do you have any daily routines and rituals that make a huge positive impact to your day? I try to exercise every day and I try to read every day. So those are the things that are key to me. And usually I'm not a big fiction reader. Like I talked about earlier, it is usually a personal development. Um, I start my morning every day for me reading the Bible. First thing, even if it's one verse, it's a proverb or whatever. I start every morning like that. Um, Typically I read a proverb every morning. First thing I do. And then I go straight into a development. So I actually won't let myself go into my personal development side of reading until I get that done. So I do that first, then I go into a development reading, and then it usually goes into uh, on my drive in. <laughs> I listen to a podcast if I'm going to the office, but if I'm staying home, I listen to a podcast uh, before I really start my day or kick off my day. So those are the things that um, I typically do. And I, try to start my day an hour earlier than every employee that is in the office. Cause it's amazing how that will make my day more productive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I remember those days. <laughs> so we've reached, we've reached the final part of the show, which is an opportunity for you to share how we can find out more about you or anything else you would like to share and what we'll do is we'll put that information in the show notes as well. For sure. They Anybody that wants to get a hold of me, you can reach me at mosaic.agency forward slash contact. That goes straight to me. So that's mosaic.agency forward slash contact. 
come straight to my email and I'm able to answer whatever questions you have. The biggest key and takeaway to everybody is media does not have to be hard. It does not have to be difficult. And when you're doing a media buy, it doesn't have to be rocket science for you. Just start somewhere and identify where you want to go and set those benchmarks. So it does not have to be difficult. And I think a lot of people try to try to make it more difficult than it actually is. Yeah, I think I think also is I think some of the big parts is, is people are just scared. Yes. Of and and I think because there is so much out there where they we've all we've all seen it on social media and stuff that yeah. says you know do this and you can do that and yeah. all of a sudden you'll be a multimillionaire. Right. I think is is they either think that they can do it on their own, they get scared, or they realize that they've overspent or something like that. Or they've been burnt the in the past. I mean, unfortunately, yeah. there is that too. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And it's it's much the same in self-development or working with a coach yes. or something. If you want to get better at a, an area, you've got to work with an expert in that area exactly. in order to help you do it because it's it, it you know it might not seem at the beginning but it is a hell heck of a lot cheaper yes and a hell of a lot faster yes than actually doing it with someone doing it on your own exactly and the investment is worth it and it's minimal like yeah. you'll be blown yeah, away absolutely. at how much it really doesn't cost you <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Em, thank you so much for taking the time and speaking to me. Um, I've really, really enjoyed our conversation. um, And I just want to take this final opportunity to wish you the greatest success. Well, thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Maria. So first of all, just let me say a massive thank you for joining me today. It's lovely to know that you're out there listening. And it's great to have the emails that I get from you with suggestions about the show and what you think about the show. That's really nice. Really does help me make the show even better. If you'd like to find out more about me and the types of services I offer or my social media links, then please visit www.jeffnicholson.uk. You can also join us on the Facebook page. Just search for Success IQ Podcast. And that's a new page that was put up that I'm trying to grow and develop. So you can tune in and find us on other stations such as Stitcher, SoundCloud, TuneIn Radio, and of course, iTunes. And if you have the time, it would be great if you could pop over there, leave a rating, leave a review, because it really does help me grow the show and make the impact that I'm really looking for. So just to say, I hope you have a fantastic week. I wish you the greatest success and I look forward to speaking to you next week. Take care.